know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation, episode 134. And this week we have Thomas Essler. He is the Director of Education and Creative Projects for the counter-trafficking organization, Saving Jane. For the last past eight years, he's been writing comic books and leading workshops that educate kids about human trafficking and empower them to protect themselves. His abolitionista comic book series was created with the help of the FBI, child psychologists, and human trafficking survivors to equip kids with the tools they need to be on the front lines of their own protection. By using his comic books, his music, his social media, as delivery vehicles, Thomas empowers children all over the world. He's given presentations about human trafficking of foster parents, social workers, state senators, family court judges, and assemblies at the UN. Thomas has lived a life that's been full of experiences. At one time, he was homeless as a young man himself. So this issue really touches his heart, and I just think it's a wonderful and creative way to speak to kids about an issue that they really need to know about. So thank you so much for joining me, Thomas. I'm so happy you were able to do this. Yes, Yeah, my pleasure. You're making this so easy for me by uh, (laughs) what an introduction. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah, you are amazing. So tell us first a little bit about your story. How did you end up uh, homeless for a time and then to become this creative? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, that's interesting. And, and, you know, what this has, by the way, uh, as you know, what this has to do with human trafficking is is kids who are homeless are incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. to being uh, exploited and being trafficked. You know, uh, um, Covenant House, a, a great um, homeless shelter for young people, has done a lot of studies about this. And the last one that I saw uh, showed that one out of five uh, uh, runaway kids, uh, homeless kids, were trafficked. One out of five, and one out of four homeless girls were trafficked, and then one out of three, which is a, I think the highest demographic, but one out of three LGBTQ youth uh, is trafficked. So, so it leaves kids in a really vulnerable uh, situation. And so there was this other study that I think uh, NECMEC did, um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, and it showed that, what was it, 88% of victims of human trafficking had been in foster care or some part of the child welfare system. Your question was, how did I become uh, homeless? And it was, um, uh, I, um, uh, I don't usually tell this story. Let me see. So. I was bedridden for three years, three uh, years when I was a young man, when I was in my twenties and I was bedridden uh, and I was 
not conscious. So like I was in and out of a coma for three years. Mm -hmm. And during that time, um, my, my brain was erased. So um, my memory was erased. Um, uh, all the aspects of my personality were erased. All those, that vocabulary of human interactions that you accumulate over a lifetime to just interact with people, all that was erased. And so, uh, and I almost died five times during this uh, period of, of um, being bedridden, um, this period of illness. Um, and so when I recovered, it was something of a miracle but I, I didn't um, have enough going on upstairs <laughs> in my brain to really know how to take care of myself. Well, wait, so, Thomas. I mean, I know everybody's dying to know right now. Why were you in a coma? What happened? Oh, I, I just uh, I think, you know, we're talking about something that happened 40 years ago. And I think back then. Uh, medicine, um, I was diagnosed as having just a really bad case of ulcerated colitis, but there were a ton of other symptoms. And I don't know what they would call it today, but I, but, but I was unconscious for a lot of that time because the pain was so uh, uh, horrifying that I think my, the, my body dealt with it by receding from consciousness. And so um, so I was in nonstop pain for, for three years. Uh, the pain was so severe. I certainly couldn't think, um, and, and uh, it, it never went away. I, um, also was not digesting any food, any kind of food I put into my body immediately shot out of my body, you know? And so I, you know, I'm, uh, five foot, five foot, nine inches, but I weighed less than a hundred pounds, and so all you could see was a skeleton. I know you're looking at my face in Zoom right now. So just imagine not being able to tell any features of me, except you could see a skull. Wow. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm laughing about this, but, but of course, at the time, it was, it was the uh, most horrific experience you could imagine. And that's, I think, why my body or my brain just decided to recede into unconsciousness. And I lost access to English. I forgot how to, how to speak English. My brain was still working. I understood things. I understood this workshop I was giving. I knew the material front and back. And luckily I had a script, which I usually didn't use, but I was reading the script, but I didn't understand what I was saying. Turns out, this is what I found out from my family, that this is a problem. My family has uh, had and its expo exposure to mold. I was put into an alternative healing institution with a lot of other people that were suffering from, we called it environmental illness at the time, but it, it was just uh, imagine being allergic to everything in your environment. So I went into this community and, and th that gave me a super clean um, uh, environment to live in. Then I did something crazy. I, I was just networking. It was back before computers. And so I, I was on the phone talking to other people around the country that were suffering the way I was. And then this family out in the Cal California said, oh, come out and we'll, you know, we'll give you a place to live and we'll teach you how to deal with this. And, and so I did. And one day I was just sitting outside in that little community and uh, a, a, you know, organ organic farmer came along and said, oh, he started telling me exactly what was wrong with me, finishing 
my diet, you know, I would start telling him what I knew, you know, in kind of a civil way. And he would just, he would just clearly give me, tell me exactly what was going on with me, uh, much more than any doctor had. Turns out, you know, he, he was just this brilliant engineer that had studied for a long time. And, and at the time, he and his wife had an organic farm, but they were looking for ways that they, that they could help people like me. And then they met me and then they did. I had ended up on a wooden bench outside of a health food store while my host family was in town doing some stuff. And, and I met this farmer who was making a delivery at this health food store. And within two weeks, I was living on his farm. Within, within four months, I was completely well. How I became homeless is that, that I came out without... Um, without a memory of how to take care of myself, without a memory of what was normal in my life. So I was in, homeless in New York for four years. And, and it didn't seem, I didn't realize that it was abnormal. I spent my days in, surrounded by a kind, you know, doing yoga and then being surrounded by a kind of luxury. I would go sit in these, you know, five-star hotels and they're in their, you know, they have these lobbies that are sitting areas, you know, with harps and grand pianos and, you know, incredible artwork. And I would write, I, uh, I'm a writer. I'm one of those writers that, that the best experience in my life was just, is just a stack of blank sheets of paper and hours and hours of nothing to do with fill, filling up, um, the paper with stories. And so I would go into these luxurious hotels and spend my days. And I looked like I belonged there because I was, mm-hmm. I looked, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew how to dress. I, I dressed. I didn't have very much clothes. I was keeping all my clothes in three lockers at the YMCA <laughs> and yeah. I was, and I was sleeping. So I say I was homeless I never slept outside. I slept in uh, mostly in storage units, not my own storage units, but storage spaces, like storage spaces that um, there was a storage space where I was living in Lincoln Center. So this really high end performance area, this world performance capital, you know, uh, Lincoln Center. Um, There was a storage space. you know, facility and I could get in. I knew I could get in. There was a bathroom there and I could, I could hide there. There was another storage facility um, in a YMCA that I was at, you know, I had taken a little yoga and I talked them into the fact that I was a yoga teacher. (laughs) And, and, um, and so I had three lockers where I kept all my stuff and it was a place for me to, you know, take showers and and keep fit. How did you get to a point where you started connecting with Saving Jane and you started creating comic books? How, How did you get to that? Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to connect it with something I already told you about myself and it was about, you know, just picture me in this luxurious setting uh in a in a five-star hotel and I I just went from one to one, you know, and and uh one to another and and I just sat there writing. And I I'm that kind of writer. It's it's my best experience in life. It takes my brain into a state of ecstasy uh uh to write. 
I don't understand why. So anyway, um, 20 years after or 15 years after this situation I'm t- uh, telling you about, um, I, uh, something occurred to me that had never occurred to me before. And it was about giving back to your community. And um, I, I uh, uh and, and, you know, um, that it's kind of our responsibility as human beings. By the way, I learned uh, this penny dropped in when I was 40 years old uh, while I was in church here in New York City. <laughs> and uh, this was something that would probably some kind of sermon. But I had grown up with this idea that that you love your neighbor or you you are kind to your neighbor. And that that idea had stayed kind of a childlike idea for a very long time, I really, what I understood was that you you care for the people that you know, that live next to you, that you're in your neighborhood or you see every day or sometime during the week and, and that you're, you, you, you care for them and you love them and you make sure they're all right and you're generous to them. You're generous to the people you know. And at 40, um, the penny drop that, that, the idea of our neighbor could be a much broader idea that I could actually expend my energy and my life doing something that could make a difference for a larger uh, community of people. And so I, when that penny dropped, I asked myself, well, what do you care about that you would um that you you could volunteer or or dedicate your time or your life to what do you care about and my brain answer my brain yells back human trafficking i want to break into this podcast and ask you an important question why did you become so passionate about the issue of human trafficking because you know how precious freedom really is and you know that if you could offer that to someone else it would make your life that much richer as well as theirs Whatever you've accomplished thus far in life, nothing is more satisfying than being able to help someone receive the gift of freedom. If you're interested in taking the deep dive and becoming trained, write this down. It's my Effective Case Management with Human Trafficking Survivors course. You know, many direct service providers are passionate about working with survivors. They understand their why in doing this work, but many don't understand their what to do or how to do it or when to do it and where and how much to do what. And unfortunately, we don't give permission for someone to be honest and say they don't have the knowledge and skills to effectively work with a population of survivors that have suffered trauma. Well, I have a course on how to work directly with survivors, including the 10 common areas of need and how to assess those areas of need and then how to intervene more effectively and in trauma-informed ways. Complete my course, Effective Case Management with Human Trafficking Survivors at your own pace. I'll walk alongside you as you walk alongside survivors, sharing with you my almost 30 years of experience. If you're interested, you can find my free webinar on my website at CeliaWilliamson.com. And now on with the podcast. So this was at least 10 years ago. And at the time, I didn't even know that I knew anything about human trafficking. And yet that's, you know, I had posed that question and my brain had answered. And so I think I began educating myself and unconsciously opening up my eyes to what 
I could do to make an uh, to make a difference in this area. Well, how did you get to the to the comic book idea? And tell us oh, a little bit about the comic book. Sure. So I was walking around, you know, learning and looking for a way to make a difference. And a friend of mine comes up and says, "You know, I was just at an event of girls that had been rescued from human trafficking." And she said, you know, they were all reading comic books. My friend says, someone should write a comic book about that issue. And at that moment, this thing that I love doing, that I'm obsessed doing writing, and then this thing that I inexplicably care about making a difference in, this crime that I, I want to make a, a difference in, in you, you know, being a counter uh, influence for, these two things came together, writing and, and being an abolitionist or, or, or you know, doing counter-trafficking work. And, and at that moment that my friend says this, I felt like I had been struck by lightning. You know, this is something that those two things came together. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this work ever since then. I've, I've been uh, writing uh, comic books about this issue, but more importantly, building workshops around that comic book mm-hmm. and taking them into schools and libraries and homeless shelters, which we talked about, uh, and YMCAs and houses of worship and, um, and educating kids about this crime in a responsible way. Because, you know, I bring in lots of experts, you know, like yourself, but, but experts in education and child psychology and, and, and law enforcement and survivors of human trafficking to create a really responsible, um, you know, educational experience for young people to educate them about human trafficking, but equip them with tools to protect themselves. Tell us uh, what the name of the magazine or the comic book is and, and um, you know, what, who's the target audience? What's the age range? Yeah. So such, (laughs) these are great questions. Thank you. So, uh, I've written a, a comic book series called Abolitionista, and th- there's one of those comic books that I really use in all of my uh, workshops, and it's called Good Hashtag Good Girl Gone. And um, I I really created this comic book, mm, you know, eight years ago. I wanted to write this comic book for someone like eleven. 11 years old. And um, even today, I I take that work, that comic book, and I go, I I do, I regularly do workshops for Girl Scout troops. Um, Some of those girls are very young, 10 and 11, and their parents know exactly what kind of workshop that we're getting into. And and like I, I say, you know, we are talking about a crime that is horrific. And you, you know about this. Um, And so, so we really have to tell this story, as I, I said, in a very careful, responsible way. And we do that. We do that. Um, uh, but um, we do it also in such a way that allows kids to recognize, you know, dangerous situations, recruitment conversations. Um, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, how, how you uh, distinguish um, a dane, uh, a trafficker, and what you you know how to powerfully deal 
with a situation where they they find that they're in contact with a trafficker, what they can and who they can go to for help. This is hugely important. You know, uh, kids need to know that sometimes it takes an adult to solve their problems. And now more than ever, um, they are surrounded by people in their life, in their community, in their schools um, that are trained to deal with even some of the toughest problems that young people have to go through. And so they, whether they know it or not, they are surrounded by uh, adults they can trust. And so one of the things that we do in our workshop, you know, uh, we have this uh, little, um, you know, exercise where they hold up one hand and, uh, and we brainstorm about the adults in their lives that they can trust. And they just name name an adult for each finger of one hand. And it can be, you know, school teachers, counselors, principals, uh, coaches, uh, uh, security guards at school, you know, it can be uh, people in their family, like their cool older cousins or aunts and uncles or grandparents. Um, and, and I impress on them that even though they might not feel like uh, telling their parents uh about when they're in trouble because they think they'll get in more trouble that their parents really are the people that love them the most in their lives and that will fight for them uh harder than anyone else in their lives so e even even though you you know a lot of kids don't want to tell their parents anything that the fact is that the way we're made as human beings is knit into our brains and into our hearts is that parents always love their children no matter what no matter how much trouble you get into no matter what you do wrong parents love their children and you can go to them for help but also you know we we brainstorm about all the people that they know in their life that they can go go to for help. How many issues are, you know, exist on Abolitionista? And is that the series or do you have another uh, comic book or is that the main comic yeah. book? Um, so the Abolitionista comic book series has like uh, three main comic books that you can get a hold of. And we are also um, creating a series just for kids in foster care, because as we mentioned earlier, 88% of victims of human trafficking have been through foster care and other child welfare, uh, you know, systems. Also, are you creating a series for uh, people with developmental disabilities as well? Yeah. How did you know that? Hey, I do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, we are doing doing that. And that's that's the one that we're really excited about. I'm um, it sounds like we write a comic book about it, but we're really creating an educational system uh, about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we also wanted to create, um, so in the foster care system, we also want to, even though we were creating a comic book series for, for kids within the, the range that they become really vulnerable to traffickers, we're really cre also creating a picture book for for kids that are much younger, you know, five, six, seven, uh, because so many kids enter into uh, foster care at that age and they need to start realizing that they go to adults for help. They go to their foster parent for help. That is really amazing. Of the, the series that currently exists, how can people get 
access to that series and is there training that comes along with it or is it self-explanatory where they can order the order the copies and use them in their groups or the classrooms we have two websites and our brand is to educate kids through entertainment so one of our websites is called abolitionista.org and it looks like a comic book website it looks like an entertainment website it looks like a playground where kids go to to have fun and read comic books and you know there's you know there's a reading club and all all that uh kind of stuff and then and you can there's a link to the comic books there and you can also read the the comic books online but uh um, the Saving Jane, the organization that I, I work under, um, is uh, has its own website. And that looks like an institutional website. It looks like a you know, nonprofit organization website. You can also buy the comic books there. Now, what we are, are in the next month, we are going to have something up, which is just a digital version of the entire workshop, which in, in you know, and it's, it's, you know, probably about two hours long, uh, which educates kids about human trafficking. Uh, and, uh, and we have uh, something called a motion, com- we've turned the comic book into a motion comic book, which is like the, uh, somewhere between being a comic book and being an animated movie. Like it's in between that area. You know, we have actors speaking the roles. There's there's motion, the camera, there's camera motion. Um, so so it's kind of like in between there. It's, and it's it's, you know, uh, the comic book has always been the star of our workshop. You know, kids go nuts. You go into you. <laughs> I go into a school and kids find out that there's a comic book workshop. They talk their way out of their regular classes to go. <laughs> The um, workshops, those are geared toward kids and teaching them. And so if I want to order copies or I want to go online and I want to um, access the the virtual com- kind of comic book, do I need as the facilitator, do I need any special training beyond uh, knowledge about human trafficking? I want to be honest with you. All, you, all you're going to need to do is press play. Um, we we have gotten all the material done and we're just putting it into an online delivery system uh, right now. So in other words, the platform, we're, we're just putting all the ingredients into the platform. Uh, and it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, this has been my dream to do it, but all the teacher will need to do is press play. And when it's in this kind of format, that also means that that teacher, a teacher can can do 40 minutes of the workshop, then stop, you know, depending on, on how long their their class times are, you know, they can do it for, you know, 15 minutes for 30 minutes. Some sometimes uh, teachers have uh, students for an hour and a half. And so they can do almost the entire workshop, uh, you know, uh, during that time. Is there a lead character that takes us through each one of these issues or? Uh, yeah. In, di- in the different comic books, what I've decided to do so far in, in the series that I've already have printed is that that it's a kind of a familial trafficking situation. Like it's clear that that the family, you know, the women in the family have been ex- like like um, uh, it's happening in a family. And it starts off with one uh, daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, in one comic book, she's trafficked, 
And uh, in that comic book, you know, because it's a comic book in a comic book world, one of her ancestors appears to her, who was her first ancestor that was was bought over to the New World and the transatlantic slave trade, and who was immediately exploited by her, you know, her slave owner. That's so, I mean, you're connecting slavery with sort of this uh, idea of modern day slavery, teaching kids, uh, you know, a little bit of history, but also teaching them about risk. And I just think it's an amazing, a creative way to come at the issue. So Thomas, I want to ask you if you were talking to anti-trafficking advocates right now in the U.S. and around the world, and they're, they want to contribute, but they're not really sure what they can contribute or how they can contribute. I mean, what would you, what advice would you give them? Yeah, my story started off with a discovery that I was really passionately concerned about this horrific crime and that I wanted to be involved in a counter-trafficking movement. I wanted to be involved in this. Now, the other part of my story is that I connected it also with something that I love doing. I'm a writer. <laughs> At the deepest part of my soul, I'm a writer. I, I want eight hours with nothing to do but fill up pieces of paper. And that might be true with people out there. And I do know that there are... Uh, fashion designers who bring um, uh, like responsible sourcing of their materials to the fashion industry. They also go to uh, parts of the world where women are incredibly vulnerable to being trafficked and teach them skills uh, and uh, about how to make money. And as soon as women uh, can earn a living, they are no longer vulnerable to being trafficked in many parts of the world. So suppose, so that was an example of, of you love fashion mm-hmm. and, and you want to make a difference because of fashion. And, and I certainly, you know, I know a woman who's, who's a makeup artist in movies. She, she created her own makeup line and she has her own uh, non-trafficking organization down in uh, uh, Texas. That really is uh, a possible. I think that if you love sport, if you're a man and you love football and you love sports, um, there are great opportunities to really teach young boys how to have responsible, rich uh, relationships with women that are respectful and honoring and supportive. That was Thomas Esler. And what he did was he married his passion and his talents together to produce a comic book that helps other people that he calls his neighbor. His neighbors are all across the US and around the world. So he overcame great odds to not only become healthy, but to also go on to help other people. Married his talents, married his passion together. That's something that you can also do. Is there something that you've been thinking about? A way that you would like to approach this issue in your unique way, bringing your talents and skills? But maybe you've been too afraid. 
So I want to read you something from a book called Resilient Living about being fearless. It says, fearlessness is neither magic nor obsolete. It's an attitude born a commitment and utter determination that motivates you to dance with your fears. One step forward, one step back. Stand up for yourself and let your voice be heard. Grow a little stronger. Confront instead of avoiding your fears. Take a courageous stand or accept responsibility and you'll grow a little more competent, a little more confident, and a little more fearless in the face of your life's challenges. Go for that dream. The world will be a better place if you do. Until next time, the fight continues.